South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. A U.S. diplomat in South Sudan is urging the country's leaders to complete implementation of the 2018 peace agreement. This is a time to reflect upon where this country is going 11 years uh, after independence. It's time for the leaders, the leaders to come together to cast aside differences. And political analysts and civil society activists weigh in on President Kiir's roadmap to implement pending tasks in the peace agreement. I would like to inform you that the roadmap that will guide us on how the transitional period will end has been developed. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A U.S. diplomat in South Sudan is urging the country's leaders to show a sense of urgency and complete the remaining tasks in the peace agreement before the end of the transitional period. The acting charge d'affaires of the U.S. Embassy in Juba says it is difficult for the people to see how peace can be achieved when there are so many pockets of violence, instability, and basic needs that are not being met. Deng Gaideng reports for VOA Fombor. In a phone interview today, the charge d'affaires at the U.S. Embassy in Juba, William Flens, told South Sudan in focus that the country's leaders should redouble their efforts to ensure that the remaining tasks is spelled out in the peace deal are carried out by the end of the transitional period, which expires in February 2023. Key provisions such as writing a permanent constitution, holding general elections and unifying the army are unfinished. Flynn says political leaders should put the country above their own interest. This is a time to, to reflect upon where this country is going 11 years uh, after independence. It's time for the leaders, the leaders to come together to cast aside differences. South Sudan's leaders to communicate more directly with their people, to give them a sense of hope, to reinforce the fact that peace is a priority, uh, I was, it was good to hear President Keir say that no more conflict. Um, and I think that message has, still has to get out to these uh, rural areas. So that would be my, one of my key messages, is that both leaders have to work together. Ambassador Flynn says repeated delays in implementing the peace agreement have raised concerns within the U.S. government about the political will of the country's leaders to implement the agreement. We stand with the people of South Sudan. What we are disappointed, though, in is the, is the lack of uh, urgency that we've seen by the government in implementing the peace agreement. But uh, that aside, we continue to support the uh, to support UNMIS, of course, which is uh, performing critical functions here. And we, we look forward to seeing more action by the leadership of, of South Sudan to to implement the remaining conditions that uh, have to be met in order for uh, democratic, free, free, fair, and credible, credible elections to take place. Flynn says the U.S. had hopes that after South Sudan gained independence, its leaders would start a new pace to deliver on the aspirations of the South Sudanese people who struggled for years to gain their freedom. He says the United States, which helped the country gain its independence, is disappointed in the government's lack of progress. Our feelings of, uh, of disappointment reflect those of the people of South Sudan. 
about the country's situation now. 11 years of independence, and yet we, we still see that the peace agreement has not been fully implemented. Uh, it's still troubling to see and hear about uh, violence erupting across the country and the culture of impunity that, that remains here. And it's, it's, it's just distressing because South Sudan should be further along by now. And when a friend uh, disappoints you, it, it hurts. And that's what, we, that's what we feel, frankly. Friend says the people have been let down by what he described as a senseless war, political infighting and corruption. President Salva Kiir said in his Independence Day speech that a new roadmap will provide guidance on how the transitional period will end. Flynn says any further extensions of the transitional period should be justifiable, noting that other extensions were approved but much remains behind schedule. What would be different about an extension this time, given that there have already been extensions? So it's just something we that would have to be carefully looked at and addressed and justified and explained by the leadership of this country to its people um, about why they feel that this such an extension would, would be justified. Flynn says the U.S. government cut funds to the reconstituted Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission and ceasefire and transitional security arrangements, monitoring and verification mechanism out of frustration with the government's inaction on implementing the peace agreement. He says the U.S. provided support to both of those mechanisms since their inception and funded them to the tune of nearly $145 million, but has seen nothing except repeated delays. President Kira said he is concerned about some partners' decision to scale down their support of the mechanisms, saying they are vital in providing oversight to carry out the remaining task in the peace deal. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. Reaction is mixed among political analysts and civil society activists over President Kerry's decision to draw a new roadmap for completing implementation of the peace agreement. The president, who has not revealed what's in the new roadmap, says he's trying to ensure the transitional period ends smoothly. But some South Sudanese say no more extensions should be allowed. Waki Simon Wudu reports for VOA from Juba. While delivering his Independence Day speech on Saturday, President Kir said he believes the roadmap is important for conducting fair, transparent and credible elections. I would like to inform you that the roadmap that will guide us on how the transitional period will end has been developed. This roadmap provides timelines for the for the completion of the outstanding provisions in the agreement. In the coming days, we are going to convene a meeting of the parties to the agreement to discuss this roadmap. Professor Abraham Kualanyuan, a lecturer of political science at the University of Juba, welcomes the roadmap, but says if there is any extension of the transitional period, it should not exceed one year. Nyuan agrees a new roadmap is needed to complete the remaining tasks of the peace deal. He says the plan should clearly state when security arrangements will be completed and when the country's elections will be held. He says the 
the roadmap should also focus on completing institutional reforms on the economy, the judiciary, and unifying the army, reforms that have not been accomplished, even though partners in the unity government signed the revitalized peace agreement over three years ago. The issue of the unification of the army, and this involves the training and deployment of the new unified army. That should be come out very clearly with the tentative deadline on when they should be graduated, when they should be deployed. Nguyen says the roadmap should also include a time frame for completing a permanent constitution and a date for elections. He says if the roadmap includes extending the transitional period, once again it should include an evaluation mechanism body led by civil society. Activist Kenya Sen Abdallah, executive director of Advocates for Human Rights and Democracy, agrees. He also says if the transitional period is extended, the government should urgently address the challenges of resettlement, reconstruction and repatriation of internally displaced persons and refugees before elections are held. They must also conduct census. In the same year, they should also start, SPLM parties will start lifting restrictions on civic space for all the political parties to participate freely. Then some of the key priorities issue that the roadmaps should focus on, the Political Parties Act 2012 must be reviewed to meet international standards. Recently it was passed by the same SPLM party, most of the other political parties work out, which means that thing has not met the standard that is needed. Akwoch Ajang, chairperson of the South Sudan Civil Society Alliance, opposes extending the transitional period, noting that the implementation of the deal has been compromised several times already. Ajang says any new roadmap should focus on preparing the country to conduct elections within the current transitional period as required by the peace agreement, arguing that the peace deal itself is the roadmap. Although the agreement allows the parties to extend the transitional period, Ajang says any further extension no longer serves the interests of the people. It is true. Uh, they will uh, continue. They will continue to extend the lifetime of the agreement and the lifetime of the government. This is obvious. Until they are challenged by the people of South Sudan, until they are challenged by the region, until they are challenged by international community. Otherwise, this is this is what they want. So it is very important that the people of South Sudan must be vigilant, must 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 uh, work for their rights, and our right is to have. The 36-month transitional period, which began in February 2020, is set to expire in February 2023. There already have been two extensions to the eight-month pre-transitional period, which began in September 2018. The first one was for three months, and the second extension was for six months until the transitional period began in February 2020. For VON News, Amwaki Simon Wudu in Juba. Some young South Sudanese are calling on the National Constitution Amendment Committee to lower the age limit for presidential candidates from age 40 to 30. They also say the permanent constitution should prohibit presidents from holding office for more than two five-year terms. Manyang David Mayar has this report for VOA from Juba. 
South Sudan's transitional constitution requests presidential and gubernatorial candidates to be at least 40 years old. Peter Malir, chairperson of the coalition of the South Sudan Youth Organizations, says the law marginalizes young people who make up the country's largest population. Malir thinks someone as young as 30 should be allowed to run for president. If you look at the international standards for one to becoming a president, you know, you, you don't have to become until you, 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 you reach 40 years to be a president. We have countries whom presidents have, I mean, which whom young people became presidents at the age of 30 to 35 and above. And, and we see this is, this, is, this is a big challenge for our country and for the laws that are being set up in our country. More than 70 young people participated in a workshop in Juba yesterday to review the current transitional constitution and the National Election Act and to recommend amendments to the document. Malir also says there should be clear academic qualifications to run for president or governor. It is just put there that someone who is literate can become the president of this country. We see, we see that as, as, as a challenge because anybody who, who know how to read and write can jump into the, the you know the, the office of the president and and, and and being unable to deliver. So, and, and of course, you know, we are in the 21st century. We we need to make sure people who are qualified, people with uh, merits, are able to, you know to to run to run to run a country like South Sudan. At minimum, young people say presidential candidates should hold a bachelor's degree. Christine Kiden, another youth leader, says young people also want to see a maximum age limit for presidential candidates in the Constitution. She thinks people 75 or older should not be allowed to run for president. If the parliament passes it, definitely any person that is going to be above that age in the next coming election will be disqualified if we really want to live by the law. I will David Abramachar, a user representative at the National Constitutional Amendment Committee, says he will present the concerns of young people this week before the National Constitutional Amendment Committee. The NCA is mandated to collect people's views in regards of who you are. And then those views will be submitted to the Ministry of uh, Justice that will later submit it into, to, 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 to councillor ministers and then later it will be taken to parliament. So I, I believe, I don't think anybody would be able to object what the young people are saying. Machar says laws that respect the voices of young people will help solve political instability in South Sudan. For a very long time, we've been used as tools of political ambition, fighting senseless wars, dying everywhere. But now we believe that we can fix our country back through a democratic process. And by doing so, we are adding our views to the National Election Act which we believe will guide the process of the next election. The National Constitutional Amendment Committee was established in the 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement. A South Sudan general election is scheduled to be held in February 2023 as stipulated by the 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement. For VOA News, Amanyang David Mayor in Juba. Listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, South Sudanese children make an appeal to President Salva Kiir. Find out about that right after this break. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send 
us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. South Sudanese children are urging the CARE administration to end corruption, improve education, and rebuild South Sudan into a peaceful country. The children spoke in Juba last week during a panel discussion organized by the international charity Save the Children to commemorate South Sudan's 11th independence anniversary. Viola Elias has more for VOA from Juba. The face-to-face discussion between South Sudanese school children and the Speaker of the Transitional National Legislative Assembly allowed children the chance to pose questions to a top government officials and try to get answers regarding their needs. The children said since South Sudan gained independence in 2011, the government has done very little to improve children's health facilities, improve education, or provide food and shelter to children as stipulated in the child's rights section of South Sudan Transitional Constitution of 2011. Assembly Speaker Jeme Nunukumba and other panelists said they were astonished to hear about the suffering of children. A 17-year-old student who we are identified by his first name, Ayuen, because he is a minor, says food shortages have affected children across the country. Ayuen says it is very difficult for a child to concentrate in school on an empty stomach. We are now liberated from corruption, liberated from the poor health that we had a long time ago. We believe that we are independent, but only few are liberated. Let's do away with the corruption and we focus on how we shall develop together. I cannot be happy when my when my friend is satisfied and I'm, I'm hungry. We cannot coexist within ourselves. Rebecca, a 14-year-old student from St. Daniel Komboni Secondary School in Juba, said government should improve the quality of children's education. She says while the Ministry of Education has introduced a new curriculum including information technology, the government has not provided computer labs in schools. Rebecca said most schools across the country do not have computers or science laboratories, prompting parents to send their children to schools in neighboring countries. Why do you think most of the parents prefer sending their children outside? Because here there is no good quality of education. The effect of sending children abroad for studies is that they are losing that feeling of love towards their own country. The rate of patriotism in our country is reducing because the level of education here is not that Tatinia-old Naomi, another student who attended the discussion, asked why the government does not ensure child rights to eat, their rights to education, or their rights to shelter, as stated in the Constitution. 14-year-old student Wilma says kids want political stability in their country. Wilma says South Sudanese children are traumatized by hearing gunshots in their residential areas. The South Sudan we want, the South Sudan where we all live in peace and harmony. 
Menono Kumba, Speaker of the National Transitional Legislative Assembly, said she was impressed by how the children expressed their concern and acknowledged the country has experienced a series of conflict and that have impacted the system negatively. She says South Sudanese have laws on the books regarding children, but they are not implemented. Parliament make laws. We approve policies. But the implementation is by the executive. Our work is to oversee, to ensure, and then post them. Only that the laws are not being implemented. The policies for education, for health, for everything is there. What is the remaining is the implementation. And our role as a parliament is to ensure that they are implemented. Kumba said she jotted down notes on all of the concern raised by the children and assured the students the government will do what it can to address their concern but did not offer any specifics. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. A court in France sentenced a former Rwandan official to 20 years in jail over complicity in the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi and for crimes against humanity. The prosecution charged Rora Bajiparuta, a former prefet of Jikongoro Prefecture in southern Rwanda, for his role in massacres of Tutsis in the area. Bajiparuta is the fourth Rwandan to be tried in French courts for complicity in the Rwandan genocide to come to court in France. This after pressure from activists in France to act against suspected perpetrators living in the country. Catherine Field is a political analyst, a reporter who has been following the case closely. VOS Jackson Vogani reached her in Paris to talk about the significance of this verdict. He was the prefect of a southern region of Rwanda and in the in that position he had control over all the officials in that region that is the police the civil servants he also had connections to the various Hutu militias now he during that time when he was in charge he held rallies he held public meetings he went to training sessions with the police and that was at those it was alleged in the courtroom here in paris it was alleged that he incited this violence against the tutsis and that he incited these various members of the Hutu militia to go out and to, as it was said in court, to to harm uh, these people or either to kill or to cause serious bodily or mental harm. And where has uh, Mr. Bachibaruta been living since 1994? He moved to France in 1997 and has been living a very quiet life here since then, been living very freely. Uh, and it was really only in the last, what, 15 years when there's been this move really pushed along by the Rwandan community here to bring some of these alleged perpetrators to justice. Now, there has been many trials of genocide fugitives who have been living in France. Uh, What is the significance of this verdict? There has been a number of trials of people accused of playing a role in the genocide, you know, trials carried out outside of Rwanda. What is the significance of this verdict in terms of where it was held, but more so for the victims and the survivors of the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi? It is significant because on the one hand, it does go some way to showing that France has changed and it is prepared to bring 
these alleged perpetrators to trial. Don't forget, for many decades, it was alleged that France was harboring these people, that, in fact, France was putting its own uh, face forward, trying to save its own face by not having these people come forward. The allegation was that they were going to, if you like, say that the, the French knew what was happening, that the French had a hand in all this. And so by bringing this particular man to trial uh, puts that to bed to some extent. And what was some of the evidence presented to court by prosecution? And what was the mood like in the court when the verdict was read? It's been a very difficult uh, trial. It really has been nine weeks of absolutely horrific testimony. Yes, on the final day, uh, the defendant did say that he was innocent. He said that he never intended to abandon the, the Tutsis of Rwanda. He said that he questioned whether it was his lack of cover. He questioned whether it was his lack of courage. He questioned whether he could have saved them. He said that question has haunted him for 28 years. But that really does pale into comparison of what we've been hearing, uh, which is you know, some of the survivors, particularly from a, a small town in uh, southern Rwanda, Chanika, people there gave evidence to the court saying that they remembered him coming there. They remembered what he said, inciting the crowd. But even people who had been in some of these areas, some of these prisons and schools and churches and health centres where he had told Tutsis to go to where he told them they'd be safe and in fact delivered them into the hands the court heard of the militia. I mean, some of these people were saying that, you know, this was, yes, this is justice, it's very late, but it's justice nevertheless. That was Catherine Field, political analyst and reporter, speaking with VOA's Jackson Vugani from Paris, France. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Moudou. During this pandemic, the World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say if you have a fever, a cough, or have trouble breathing, you should stay home and contact a healthcare facility. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest health news. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. And that's all for this Wednesday's edition of South Sudan in Focus. I am your host, Nabil Biagio. Thanks for joining us from your homes, cars, and on your phones. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.